0: To another episode of the Verge today, we have Miss Renee Broadbent, the CIO of Sohn Healthcare in Connecticut. Thanks for joining, Renee. Thank you for having
1: me. I'm excited to be here today.
0: Super excited to have you. Renee is a good friend. Uh, we met, I don't know, over a year ago, maybe I'd say, and yes. connected. Connected through New England Hymns. We've had a couple of lunches and dinners together, some really good laughs, and we could probably talk for hours. Um, Renee is also the incoming president as of July 1st to New England Hymns. So, congrats on that um, election, Renee. Thank you. Thank you. Thank
1: you. I'm, I'm very excited. Um, I've been working the past year as the president-elect with our board um, in preparation for it. Um, you know, we have a very large chapter, so and we're very active, so I'm looking forward to um, the coming year. We've been doing a lot of planning so far, so excited yeah. to be
0: here. I'm excited to sit on that team as well. Can you talk about the award that we actually won this year and was presented at New England um, at HIMSS, to New yeah. England HIMSS?
1: Yeah, so New England HEMS, uh, or Hymns, I'm sorry, National, um, has, you know, three awards the chapter can qualify for, uh, bronze, silver, and gold. And each one has, you know, the bronze has the basic criteria, and then each what level goes up has that criteria plus more. And so because we're such an active chapter and we do so many Um, Different things. Uh, We felt as though we qualified for the gold chapter and we went for it and we received it. We were, I think there were three other chapters or four other chapters across the country that got it. It was a very small number, a lot qualified for the other ones, but um, you have to be really, really active. And although HIMSS doesn't require any organization uh, or local or regional one to have committees. Um, they rec- they encourage them. And um, we have a lot of committees because we cover a huge number of states, you know, six states, very large. Um, and we're very active and we have great members who like to you know do lots of different things. So we are very fortunate and we're going to go for it again this year. And I'm confident we're going to get it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I'm confident as well. Well, we do have at New England Hymns our annual conference coming up on June 8th um, yeah. with some phenomenal speakers. Is there anything you want to add to that? You know how yeah, many people are sure. signed up yet? Uh, we have a little over
1: 150 at this point that are signed up. Um, there's still tickets, so please, please make sure to sign up. We have two tracks. One is around digital health. The other is around clinical informatics. Um, we actually, if you need CEs, we do offer CEs on the clinical informatics track. Right now we're at five. We think we're going to get six. Um, so just keep that in mind. It's a great event. It's at the Norwood Sheraton. Um, our, all of our wonderful sponsors are there. Um, It's a great day. Lots of information. Um, The food is outstanding. We have an amazing cocktail hour. So if you can stick around, that's always a lot of fun as well.
0: Yeah. Awesome! I'm excited to be there um, as well. So let's talk about you. Let's talk about you know how, your background, your maybe your education, um, how you worked your way up to be a, a female CIO, which is a unicorn in itself, but you know getting better these days, but still kind of unicornish. So go ahead.
1: Yeah. yeah. So you know I started off in um, actually insurance, not healthcare, and um, you know I, I started in this job and 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 I was a customer service person. And I got out of college, I was just basically trying to find myself. And um, actually in college, I did take a, um, a computer course and I didn't do very well in it. The only course I didn't do very well in in college, which was kind of funny given where I ended up. And um, so I transferred to a position there where I did a lot of analytics and uh, business analysis because insurance has always been, you know, some, some industries are farther along than healthcare and things. Right. Um, And then one day I got an opportunity to go into healthcare by a colleague of mine and um, I went and I loved it and I never looked back. And so I started off, you know, doing a lot of big project management work for hospitals, um, you know, surgery centers, uh, big reengineering efforts and things like that. And Then I decided that I wanted to be my own boss. So I was like, oh, I'm going to be a consultant because I thought like at 30, that would be super easy to do. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I did um, with a business partner of mine. And we, you know, I started working with a lot of clients specifically around uh, HIPAA security. I got really, really interested in the regulatory and security part of IT because I could see that that was going to be challenging for healthcare in the long run. Um, And so I had my own company for a long time. And then my business partner decided he wanted to move on to do other things. And I took a job at a hospital and it was a good time for me because I did have children, smaller children at the time. Um, And while I was there, I was like, you know what? I want to be a CIO. And I looked around to try to get some mentorship. And I was like, couldn't find any CIOs that were female. And I was like, wow. And so I decided that I was going to do that. I was going to break that barrier and I was going to be a female CIO. And so this was a great opportunity for me because our CIO, who was, who was a wonderful person, wanted to, uh, was not from the area and wanted to return home. And so they kind of, you know, put me on that path. And I I had a lot of great mentors to help me get there. So that's how I got into um, being a CIO. And then I remember when I first became a CIO in healthcare, I remember looking up a statistic one day and only 3% of CIOs in healthcare at the time were women. I'm not sure how much that's moved, um, but it's always been a passion of mine. And I was in a hospital for a long time. And then about 10 years ago, I decided that value-based care was the was the train to go on to change healthcare, and so now I've been doing that for the last twelve years, um, and it's super exciting. So it's a it's a roller coaster ride, but I'm enjoying it.
0: Yeah, awesome, awesome. And you did that all while you had twins. Yes, uh, <laughs> twins. <laughs> so not just one, and then the other two little ones, one on each hip, the entire time.
1: Exactly. You know, it's it's funny, I always um, talk to folks who are in that position now, you know, trying to make it in their career. And, you know, um, you know, it does require some juggling, and it does require leaning on people and getting some help if you need it, um, so that you can, you know, focus on those things. But I would also like to emphasize that, you know, it's a once in a lifetime, you know, you can never get that stuff back. So to make sure that you put that as a priority.
0: yeah. Yeah. And you didn't have the advantage of all this remote work that we have now, you know, you, no, have, you no. know, no. And
1: so I try to be super
0: empath- empathetic to
1: all my team, right? Like, you know, family stuff, you, you, you know, work from home. If you've got a, you know, someone has a baseball game or, or something like that, sure. or a softball game. Um, So I try to be, I didn't have all of those options available to me. So I, I was that, I was that insane person in the third row vehicle speeding up 91, you know, astronomical <laughs> speeds to try to get to a baseball game.
0: When I had my little one, and I was CIO in Vermont, I had a, the, these cubes around a table instead of like chairs, we actually positioned them one time so that I could be in the office and work. And I brought yeah. the mat for the pack and play. And Lindsay came and she napped there. Well, you know, uh, so that was just accommodated because there wasn't remote. It wasn't remote. No. And,
1: and, and so I think that that's a huge benefit. And I don't necessarily for either, you know, it would, either parent, right, or any parents. Um, and I don't necessarily think it's self limiting, right, in terms of your career growth. Um, although I do right. think, you know, I, I counsel oh. my own kids to say you like to spend, make sure you spend a little time at work networking and getting to know who
0: people are in person, because that, that's yeah. a value add as well yeah absolutely. Let's pivot over to your uh phenomenal data security privacy background and and so what are you doing at sone to ensure that you all are secure and your you know data is kept private and and all up to speed with the evolving uh world of security
1: yeah so uh, great, great lean and we we've done a lot. Um I been at Sown for about two and a half years. Um when I came in, um I had some work to do in terms of building that it's that's which is very typical for most organizations, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so um we do process and have a lot of protected health information. Um, to treat our you know, patients and to provide our, our providers with the information that they need to give the best care that they can. Yeah. Um, and so we have a um, codified security, stra- security strategy um, that I evolve every single year. And, and it's been a progression over time. And it has to be, it can't be a plan you bake and then oh, there it is. It's it's good. It has to be evolved over time. So you've got the basic framework in place, which is, you know, make sure all number one, all your policies and procedures in place. So we put all of that in place. Um, I'd also like to just say that I partner with our compliance and privacy team. Right. So we work as a as a team to make mm-hmm. sure we deliver all of that. Um, so we have our policies and procedures in place. We actually have a policy committee in place so that we review those on a cadence. Right. To make sure we're mm-hmm. um, um, keeping up with all of that. So that's, that's kind of like the baseline type of things. And then we really do things like real-time risk management. We have tools that we monitor real-time with all of our um, vendors that have protected data. Um, it's, we have, there's some great tools out there and I'm not going to advocate for one vendor versus another, but I do yeah, like yeah. the one that we have. Um it gives us real-time reports. It's it allows us to be interactive with that vendor when we see um Decreases in their grade, we can go and ask them why, you know, that you know, and, and fix it. Um, we also do a lot of security and awareness training. So um, we do have a tool that we use; um, it's great. We send out vignettes every month. We have a contest going on for Cybersecurity Month in October. Um, this particular software has series in it, like Netflix, that you can binge. Um, yep. And so we're, we're we're challenging people to binge it, and we're giving little quizzes, and we're doing some prizes awesome. at the end. Yeah, and so and you can it's huge library. so you can pick and we, we schedule every month and, you know, I monitor their statistics. I um, mean, it's actually really effective because people like now they get stuff. They're like, I think this is phishing. And I'm like, yeah. it's not really. I'm like, or they'll say, I'll send an email out and they'll say, did you really send this? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> they're learning. Um, they are your best advocates, right? It,
0: they, they are. And, and, you
1: know, being educated is the best part of it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and then of course um, we have a, a very secure environment. Um, we were an outsource. We had an outsourced our, um, our services. We brought it all back in house. I have some amazing technical folks that work for me. Um, We are um, very, very secure. We are in, um, we are a Microsoft Azure shop. And so a lot of our, all of our data is up in there. We leverage all the security tools that Microsoft provides as part of being, you know, a subscriber to that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we've gotten it pretty well locked down and monitored. We have some really cool tools that monitor stuff and we, we keep on that. And then the last kind of component of it is really what are you doing with your vendors, right? So when you, when we're, looking at um, vendors or proposed vendors to do work with us, especially if they're going to have protected health information, we have a checklist of things that we require for them, right? Well, we want, for example, we want to have them run through the I- OIG exclusion list, right? Mm-hmm. That's important if you're you know, working on federally funded programs. Mm-hmm. Um, NDAs, BAAs, disaster recovery plans, do they mm-hmm. have a BCP plan? Um, do they, um, and I require all of our vendors to be high trust certified. I am a certified okay high trust assessor. So I know how grueling that um, certification is. It is the gold standard um, in the industry. Um, If they don't, then I want a security questionnaire filled out. I want evidence of SOC twos um, on file and a pathway to high trust. Um, So we have a whole variety of things that before you even get to the contracting piece, all that has to be provided um, to us. Um, And so, you know, so I feel like we have a really robust plan. Um, I do report out at our board Um, several times a year and also to our audit and compliance committee. Um, And each every other month we do a report out on that. Um, And then the last thing is we follow industry, right? So we we stay on top, we have a group that stays on top of things. So for example, we're following the point right issue right now, right? Because we have providers that are in Harvard Pilgrim Health, right? And they had the um, ransomware um, attack um, about a month ago. So there's updates that are coming out about that. And we provide that information out to our network, the updates. So I feel like we're very transparent. I feel like my um, team and myself are constantly monitoring these things so that we can get ahead of it as much as we can.
0: Yeah, yeah. You're definitely on the high end of uh, security. And I know it's always been a passion of of yours. What was it like becoming a high trust assessor? And have you assessed people? Oh yeah. Um, and what what's the whole like? Obviously, not calling out any organization, but what's the biggest hole that you see out there when you're going and looking at others?
1: So you know, I don't do, I, I got my high trust assessors when I was working for an audit firm, right. Prior to Stone, right? Yep. And so that's what they do. Right. Okay. Um, I maintained it because I felt like it gave me leverage when I was dealing with client or potential mm-hmm. vendors, right. Because okay. I understood exactly what, and, and I, I have to maintain my certification. So every year I take a recertification and then every three years I go through the entire classroom process again mm-hmm. to make sure you stay current. Right. Um, but I do feel like it's important for me to maintain that especially, um, you know, security is really important when you manage a lot of payer contracts like we do. Um, yeah. We have a lot of them at Sone, right? And it's the gold standard for payers. Um, so it's really important to have that. Um, the, the certification itself is fairly grueling. Um, most organizations um, leverage doing a readiness assessment, right? So they come mm-hmm. in and they we, we would look at everything that you had in place and then we'd give you this report and you would usually probably be pretty sad when you saw the report <laughs> because yeah. of the amount of work that has to be done, right? Cause there's 19 yeah. domains and you might have to satisfy, you know, six or 700 different controls in the, within yeah. each of those domains, well, within total domains. Um, and so it takes, it takes an organization, a long time, you know, it can take a year and a half to two years from start to finish um, and then they have to maintain it every year. So that's why it's really the preferred, Um, preferred standard for organizations. And, you know, it's, it's time consuming. It's, it's not cheap either. Um, And so um, if I, if an organization present presents to me that they've done this, it tells me they're, they're really invested in the security piece.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Which is so important these days. Um, Let's switch over completely. Well, somewhat different topic, right? Completely different than um, security. Let's switch over to what you all are doing at Sone with your social determinants of health and and how you're clinically integrating that into your network and and out to your patients and, and all of that good stuff.
1: So I think that we're a work in progress, right? That's how I that's how I like to put it, right? Okay. So we're doing we're doing things that are really good and, and things that, you know, organizations together are trying to manage to, right? So the you know, the the guidance is changing, right? So CMS came out with their, you know, their plan, their multi-year plan. Um, on social determinants of health and incorporating um, incorporating those um, into metrics and measures and, and no. getting that information, right? Um, and then, you know, of course, they've now retooled some of their ACO programs for ACO reach that incorporates the whole health equity and social determinants of health. One of the things that I think that, um, you know, when we look at um, populations um, and the underserved um you know, they're dispa- it's, there's a big disparity in some of, some minority populations, right, that just don't have access to health care and, and aren't doing those, you know, not doing their regular visits because they can't get to them or there's other barriers for them to do that, right? right. But we don't have a ton of really good data on it because it's not collected consistently. And it's also, um, remember, it's still optional for people to provide information mm-hmm. like that, right? So we have data we have data, and we have the data, right? So, part of the goal is to improve that. Train people to, you know, get that information, so then we can start to look at that data and where we can start to make improvements, right? Mm-hmm. Where are we having, um, you know, big the biggest gaps? Um, we're also looking at. Um, the data, where we can get other data sources, right, that can help us inform that. So training our network on the importance of collecting all that information, and then providing other data sources so we can start to analyze and desegregate data and say, okay, this is where we need to focus. And then how do we tie that into services? So when I say tie it into services, if, you know, you have a population, you can then analyze and look at it and say, wow, in that particular area, There's um, a health, um, you know, health literacy issue, right? So we need to, because they don't know where to go. We need to, how do we educate that population and what services can we link up so we can go and do that? Or there's a particular food desert or there's an access issue. So we're starting to look at different tools to do that. We're starting Mm -hmm. to take our data, improve the collection of it, analyze it, educate our network. So I think those are all things. We also, um, we're fortunate in the state of Connect. Connecticut, because the Office of Health Strategy has a convenings on all of this. And so we participate in that to learn from each other best practice mm-hmm. and try to create a unified front, you know, because Connecticut is such a small state, you know, yeah. we can share the data and let's just call it most of everybody's on Epic. So, you know, you yeah. can get the information pretty easily. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. What, yeah, I think I read somewhere in a publication that, you know, the effects of a person's health is, you know, 80 to 90% and, and the leftover is just, you know, what they see as a, you know, seeing their provider or their doctor or stuff, but all these social determinants are just yeah. Yeah. In such a big part of their life that I don't know why we're not like focusing on them so much more.
1: Well, you know, it's really funny because I was having a conversation or I've had multiple conversations with colleagues and, you know, um, Being a project manager, um, originally, you know, I'm all about the root cause analysis on things, right? And I said, the biggest problem healthcare has had is that um, we fix problems. We put patches on problems. This is my personal opinion, right? We fix Mm -hmm. it. We we give more medicine, better drugs and stuff like that. And I'm like, okay, that's great for someone who's sick, but how is it sustainable from an ongoing standpoint, from a cost-effective standpoint? We need to go back and figure out why are we at this point? What is right. is what? What is causing this? And to your point about what you just said, that is part of the issue. You know, you have people who have grown up all their lives never having gone to a doctor, never mm-hmm. having access to fresh food. So they eat, you know, whatever they can, you know, whatever's convenient for them. And that might not mm-hmm. be the best thing. So they develop chronic diseases like diabetes, which is the number right. one in the United States. Right. They develop other health issues that go with them. And then by the time they're, you know, 40 or 45 you know, they've got multiple, multiple issues affecting them, right? Um, A lot of people use the emergency room as the doctor's office. That's why you get extended wait times and whatever. So we have to figure out as a society how to fix that part of it, because that will address the longer term, in my opinion.
0: No, I absolutely agree. I think we just keep putting band-aids on things and we're not going back to the root cause and really focusing on well-care. I mean, I think the buzz is out there and we're, we're talking about it, but until we actually jump in the well-care lake and yeah. actually start I feel like enough has happened where we're where we're talking about it but we're not we're still not doing anything about it. Right. Um, right.
1: And, you know, one of the things too, like, and um, and this is for anything that we talk about from a, a health technology standpoint, right, um, is that, you know, we talk about interoperable data, we talk about having access to all this information, right? But at the basis of all these changes, right, is that we still lean on HIPAA as our regulatory guidance. And here's the challenge with that. HIPAA was written in 1996. My kids were born in 1996. So, you know, they're going to be 27 in August and a lot eighth grade, <laughs> <laughs> right. And so, but, but a lot has changed, but that hasn't. And as these new things come out, they tend to lean towards HIPAA again. Right. Yeah. And so there's a real call to say, is it time to go back and revisit some of that? Yeah. And we should, because every time we get to a new, um, you know, a new jump point, right. We're like, Oh, we're going to be all, yeah, but still make sure you do all these HIPAA things. Right. Okay. And- you know, we don't have uniform regulation across the country about it. You know, we have the federal law, but then some states have more restrictive laws than you right. know, than HIPAA. So you have to follow that. So it makes that interoperable sharing of information, it makes the collection of certain pieces of information to help better assess what a patient needs mm-hmm. a little bit more challenging. And I'm not saying we shouldn't respect people's rights, but be- right, right. we absolutely should. But we've got to we've got to find a compromise so that we can actually, you know, deliver more effective care.
0: Yeah, we're sort of like splitting our legs, right? Because we yeah. we we pushed the 21st Century Cures Act and opened up all this fire and said, let's share all this information. But yet we're still screaming, yeah. oh, what about HIPAA? We need to keep it secure. And and I think there's got to be it needs to be a little bit further pushed so that we can share, but still keep the the mental behavioral health aspect of it somehow partition that off um
1: yeah and I, I think that there's a lot of value i think there's a lot of value to doing that but then i also think that that is a component of why someone may have other issues as well so what is mm-hmm. the fine what is the fine tuning of that so that that patient <clears throat> gets the care that they need and the other services that they need so that they can be well
0: right right awesome um, what else are you guys doing over at Sohn, Uh in terms of IT? How about your digital front door and in your patients, you know, use of your portal and, and this whole switch in, Get it, you know, it's, it's more about the patients using digital than, than the doctors as much now. Right. Yeah.
1: Yeah. You know, so I think a lot of strides were made in COVID like for telehealth and all that. And so I think it's more readily accepted across the board, whether it's patients. I mean, I know, like I don't, if I can just do a quick visit on a telehealth, I'm in. And most people are, are there, right. You know, we do still have some challenges with people not having technology and, and some people just like to be go to a doctor and like yeah. see in person. And there's nothing wrong with that. So I think where we go is how do we get the in-between, right? Um. So we, we, we have embarked, um, you know, obviously like many organizations looking at digital health, how we can better um, implement, you know, um, access for our patients. And certainly one of those things is, uh, you know, a digital front door where, we can deliver out to a patient options. And, you know, Trinity has done some good stuff around that already. You know, we're kind of obviously looking to see, you know, it's on how we integrate all that. We Mm -hmm. do actually do video visits with our patients. And this isn't straight telehealth. This Mm -hmm. is more like confirming appointments and using text Mm -hmm. and things like that. And we find that we're, so in SONE, right, we're, we're managing a subset of that population, right? And so our care managers are able to interact with the patient and we find we have better compliance rates with, oh, yeah, okay, I'll go for my mammography or I'll go for my colorectal screening or, or whatever it is. So we're starting to see some value in that. The next thing we, you know we're hoping to do is put some technology, you know, maybe in a phone right? Um, To say, okay, now how do I navigate through other things that I might need? Um, And we're also looking at some other, some pretty cool technologies out there that do like, um, you know, video vignettes about, hey, why AWV is kind of is needed, right? So that people, when they go to the portal, see these types of things, and then it tells them how to get that. Um, And certainly how we can make our website and our portal more kind of condensed because, you know, in fairness to everybody, there's a lot out there, right? You know, how many people have like four or five different portals a lot. Yeah. And so how do, how do we make that more unified? So it's, again, it's another, you know, way to evolve the process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I wish I just had a, all one portal could be an app on my phone and, and then you it's easier to share when you go to the doctor's office you're not writing it down right, right. all your allergies and and right. uh, all your meds and you know all of that
1: certainly not a plug for apple although i am an apple person you can mm-hmm. actually get all of that onto your phone and then okay. share it with share it. so you know what kudos to them for kind of thinking ahead and getting that all yeah. because it's you know it's not a portal but you know all your information is in one place that you okay. can get from all your portals right
0: yeah. That's I just it. think like even having it in one place so that you get in an accident, you get knocked unconscious, you're able to get all of that and then transfer it to the, you know, when you arrive at the ER. Um, yeah. So, you know,
1: when we first did uh, HIPAA security, right, we were rolling it out in 20, 2005. Right. So we were, we were what, like a sophomore then. Um, so, <laughs> uh, but um, no, no, it was interesting. I was doing some training and I'll never forget. Um, I was responsible for implementing HIPAA security in two different hospitals. And in the, the second hospital where I end, ended up being employed, I was doing training. And I remember one day I had this person stand up in the training and go, why would I want to do this? Why, why why, should I give everybody access to my data? And I'm like, well, I'm not saying everybody. I'm saying, you know, integrate blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, let me give you this scenario. And I still use this today because I still think it's relevant. You know, you are on a trip somewhere, you're in a different state and you have an asthma attack or you get hurt, right? And you're allergic to penicillin, and you go into an ER and they don't have any of your medical records, and the doctor, you can't talk for yourself. And someone says, Well, the best treatment for this is penicillin, and they give it to you. Yeah. Right. And you go into shock. Right. So, and that's the example I gave yeah. that person. They were like, Oh, that makes sense. I'm like, Yeah. Wouldn't you want somebody who is looking at you to have all that information? And I still feel that way today.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So how, let's talk about your team and your leadership style. How many people are on your team and okay. how are you and your team transitioning to, you know, I think you're hybrid semi remote, yep. yep. how yep. are you keeping all your ducks together when they're not all in the same, you know, like yeah. locked in CI, you know, it yeah. department anymore.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, so, my department is uh, like kind of sort of two pieces, right? So, the first piece is the infrastructure. And the security. So infrastructure, think, you know, the networks, the cloud solutions, the desktops, the printers, and then the the security around it. And then I have my data team, right? And that's our data lake and applications and supporting interfaces and supporting claims acquisition and file transfers and building out, you know, an empire of data, right? And so there's three people on the infrastructure side and there is, uh, I always forget this number, like seven or eight on the other side, um, Mm -hmm. you know, that do a lot of different things, right? And support some of our internal systems too on the data side side and in the other side. So, um, you know, I've retooled my team a little bit since I've gotten there, um, you know, kind of switch some roles around and kind of pulled some things in house um, on my technical side. And so, um, you know, I really feel like they're in a great spot. I'm fortunate. I have a really amazing team. They are all super dedicated, um, hardworking, smart. Um, so, and they all get along. So I think that that's That's amazing. Right. Um, I am not um, I am not a micromanager. So you can ask anybody who's ever worked for me. I do not like to get in the weeds anymore. I want to think about the strategy and I want you to kind of run the day to day stuff. So they do that. And then what I also try to do is then bring them all along. Right. I try to make sure they have training, mentorship, things like that. We have one on ones. We have team meetings. And so, and the door is always open, right? So, what just because so-and-so reports to my director of data integrity or my technical director doesn't mean they can't pick up the phone and call me. There's no, everybody, everything is transparent. Um, and when we... Sown as an organization, the executive leadership team, um, we, we moved our location. Um, the pl- place we were in, um, the hospital needed that space. So we needed to find a new location. Um, and we made a decision then, like the chiefs would each decide what their teams wanted to do, right? So I have one team who likes to be on site. You know, they're just, that's their jam and they like to do that. And my data team's like, yeah, I'd, I'd rather just, you know, work remotely, you know, because it's easier mm-hmm for me. So I left it up to them and I said, okay, but we can do whatever you want, but, you know, we will revisit it every once in a while to make sure it's, we're staying in contact mm-hmm. and, and it works. So, and it has, I mean, this has been going on now for two years and I think it works just fine. So what we're doing is um, we usually try to get together every couple of months, right? We do te- it's like in around the holidays, My our, the person I report to who has multiple divisions, she gets everybody together. Um, but like, Next two weeks from now, um, we're all getting together in our new office, right? We're going to do some team discussion and kind of strategy, what we're doing for next year. And then around three, we're all going to go offsite to, um, a nice place and relax outside and
0: have some cocktails, maybe, Uh, (laughs) um,
1: So maybe, um, maybe
0: not. Well, that's where yeah. like the real conversations happen, right? right. And so
1: yeah. I try to create a relaxed environment, um, you know, for for folks. And and we'll go out periodically. We'll just meet at a restaurant. And we'll have some eats and drinks, and you know, just kind of talk about stuff that's important beyond work, right? Because a right. lot of that tells how people are doing and how mm-hmm. they're feeling. And I sometimes hear things that makes me think like I I need to reach out, um, yeah, out mm-hmm. to that person personally because you know they're going through some stuff right now.
0: Yeah, I think you're really good at vibing people out and knowing how to yes. help coach them back. Yeah and You've yeah. done that for me a few times already. So <laughs> <laughs> um, so we're going to close out the podcast. But before we close out, I always ask a question. And so yep. what would your team, your family, your twins um, say is your superpower?
1: I would say my superpower par- is that I have strength and endurance, endurance and resilience to face challenges. Um, and I have a great eye for detail. And I have the ability to analyze a particular situation. And then because of all of that, I, I can be super flexible and adaptable. And I think part of that has evolved over time. I don't think that I was always that way, but I do believe that's my superpower now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, just to give you my children credit, it is It is they who have given me that opportunity because I did not know I was having two of them until I was almost six months pregnant. And I had the room all picked out and cleaned up. And I was like, what? Um, So that was being flexible and adapting. But um, also, um, you know, personal, um, I've had a lot of personal stuff, you know, especially the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. um, And value based care is is sometimes a roller coaster ride. and, And so I think that it has built up an incredible resilience. I've had a couple of things happen um, in my career that hopefully you never have to experience, but some people do, um, yeah. job loss and things like that. And I think what it has done is, is build up this incredible strength to realize that you can come out, always come out
0: on the other side of things. Yeah. No well, that too. I know. I love it. I'd like to also add that you're definitely in the get shit done club. Yeah. So, um, <laughs>
1: yeah, I totally, you know what? I totally am. am in that person. I'd like to get, mm-hmm. I get a lot of stuff done i mean new england (laughs) hymns this year we'll be getting a lot of stuff done we're already planning stuff so i am i am in the get shit done club
0: i love it i love it renee thank you so much for your time and i look forward to seeing you at new england hymns june 8th at the sheridan in norwood
1: yeah no i can't wait to be there and i will be on the uh bluebirds podcast next week presenting details on my security plan so please do that too
0: excited (laughs) awesome
1: Thanks for tuning into The Verge Podcast, brought to you by Divergent, a leading healthcare IT consulting firm. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Be sure to hit the follow button to stay up to date with the latest IT developments and the exciting ways tech is transforming healthcare today.